Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Do Business Better podcast. Got a great show for you today. My friend, Ed Nichols. I met Ed at Purdue University in 1988, 9, 88 or 9. It's going back a long time ago. Yes, I know, over 30 years ago. Ed spent time on Wall Street. He was an investment banker. And it dawns on me because he's a, now in an entrepreneurial role. He owns real estate and fixes up real estate in Chicago. So I thought, here's a guy that's running his own business who also has an investment banker background. He's a financial guy. So what we're going to talk about today is Wall Street lessons for Main Street businesses, because you're a Main Street business, I'm a Main Street business, and Ed's going to tell us what we can do to think more like Wall Street investment bankers to improve our business. Ed Nichols, welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. You worked on Wall Street as an investment banker. You're a financially minded guy. That's why I got you on here. Your role here today is help these small business, self-employed business owner types think like financial professionals, which you were. What is an investment banker? Um, an investment banker basically is someone who matches sources of capital money with those who need it, companies. So it's a, you know, B2B intermediary is essentially what, what it is. Um, but in the U.S., access to really large pools of capital, what we would call institutional capital, um, are almost, almost entirely still controlled, access to them is controlled via investment bankers in one form or another. So Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, um, City, my employer, um, those are the large names in, in, the, in, the, in the business. And so if you're a company seeking um, large amounts of capital um, or, and or to go public, so equity or debt capital, you would access one of the investment bankers to help you make that happen. Um, the other sideline of the business, um, thought to be synergistic because of all the companies they do business with as investment bankers tend to, to, to represent companies and, and selling themselves or selling interests and merging with other companies. Yeah, so from that, that's the one that I think of is that you used to tell me you were working on deals. You know, this company that makes bottle caps is trying to get uh, itself sold to uh, Alcoa or this company that makes semi-trailers is trying to get bought by Wabash Nation, right. or whatever those things are. So really, you learned a lot about valuations of companies and looking at what those companies' weaknesses and strengths are beyond just the sale price. I mean, that's, that's realtor stuff there. You really looked at what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, what's the long-term prognosis for this company. And I think that's why you could probably help our people out with is when they look at their business, they look at it as a job sometimes, and you probably learn to look at it as a valuable business, a value-based business, am I right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So all of what I did was helping companies either buy or sell. Um, and my favorite activity always was uh, an owner entrepreneur founded business who's seeking to exit the owner into retirement. That's the, that's the most fun exercise. So it's how do you get that business ready to get the most value, the best outcome for them and their employees. A lot of times employees were very you know, key to the decision-making on the owner's part. So how do we position the whole thing? How do we get everyone ready? How do we figure out what buyers are going to be concerned about? Um, how do we figure out all the right answers in advance? All that kind of stuff. So getting ready for sale was um, all of what I focused on. 
Yeah, there's a lot of people that are like sitting there, they're listening to this podcast, say, okay, I've got a little business. Do I have something to sell? And then, so if they were thinking about that, what do they need to be thinking about? Uh, they got to be thinking about their heirs. They got to be thinking about the market. They would think about who's going to be their buyer. What else? Um, all of those things for sure. Um, I think it's funny. I, I think, um, and I, I read a lot of these studies. There's, there's a lot that's been written the last decade, decade about the big baby boomer business founding generation is going to exit their businesses and everyone's expecting this big wave of selling of these businesses that still hasn't really come. Um, and so, but it, part of these, these part of what you read is, is studies saying that very few businesses are prepared and ready for the exit. And I, I think part of it is that um, people don't want to, you know, face the fact that ultimately they're going to exit one way or the other. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe that's the thing that they're they're not actually not selling because of of uh, some well thought out logical reason. They're not selling because they don't want to admit that it's that, that it's time to go away. And also, they may not admit it in time, and then it might be that the company just goes away without them selling it. Probably that's exactly right. Or or or, or even worse, I think what often happens it's it's the you know their spouse and or family who have to to deal with it. Um, and, and probably don't achieve or almost certainly don't achieve the same outcome as would have occurred had there been more planning. And so it's not a pleasant thing. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, the fatalistic, it's the end of the, the cycle, but um, it's, it's, you know, critically important if you value what you spent your life building. So should the person listening to this podcast right now be thinking about that, that thing, like saying, okay, what if I had to sell tomorrow? I think everyone should. I think everyone should have a plan for exit tomorrow. What would that look like? Obviously not as attractive probably if you, as if you had six months to prepare, but you know, if someone, if you got a call from your biggest competitor or your, or your supplier or customer, whoever it may be, and said, Hey, would you consider selling? Um, be ready with, within your mind, a number, you know, what, what would you take? What would, um, you know, I, I think, I think that's critically important. Um, I, I do think, um, I do think, uh, I mean, investment bankers, one thing we're criticized about, um, is, is always focusing on the sale. Um, but, and I think one thing I learned, um, is that, uh, even though we do, do ultimately the sale needs to occur is going to happen. The most important thing, if you're doing it in an orderly fashion is to have the next thing lined up. And those, there's books written on Finish Big is a great book. Well, Berlingame published on the subject, but there's numerous others as well. But it seems to me, at least anecdotally, those who, who have that next thing lined up are the happiest. It's, it's, not, it's not a matter of how much you get for your business or if you succeed in that way. It's, it's what are you doing next? Um, so I, you, mean profe- I, you mean professionally, personally, all that stuff? Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so everyone says I'm going to travel more. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play more golf. You know, that's that that goes away quickly. So you need to have something more engaging um, lined up. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, the people that always say that, and then my big one is when they say, "Well, could you retire?" I'm like, "Well, sure. What's that look like? I mean, yeah, I could liquidate a whole bunch of stuff and then live really small. I'm only 50 years old. What the hell would I do?" And that people say, "Well, you could volunteer." I said, "Well, I'm not being." mean or anti-altruistic here, if that's a word, but me going and ladling out soup is probably not the highest and best use for Damian Mason, but there's more important stuff to it. 
by me writing books, getting on stage, having my speaking business, owning farms, buying and selling properties, I employ a lot of people that are better off than if I had just ladled out some soup for them. And so I think that's the real uh, thing that a business, even a small little business like me, I spend you know $20,000 a year with this little company and $30,000 with this little company and I hire this subcontractor to excavate and do work. And so I think that there's that aspect of it. So I, I don't think that um, playing golf, like you said, is the end all. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, I think putting in the way or put more generally, it's, it's retirement should be doing more of what you want to do. Um, uh, and I think I wrote that into my book, do business better each for me. Success is every year with my own business, doing more and more of what I want to do and less of what I don't have to do. Speaking of running your own business. Okay. You left the 70th floor there of uh, a skyscraper in Chicago and you started running, started running your own business. What's that? 87th. 87th floor. So you see even 170 feet higher than I thought you were. And then you, uh, next thing you know, now you're like uh, running your own thing. Today you buy and own and swap and fix up real estate in Chicago. Not as glamorous as the 87th floor. Tell me about the adjustment. I think uh, that's putting it lightly. I think and part of it too was, was uh, part of my thinking process here in this was, in Chicago, I think, and I'm not from Chicago, so maybe I'd notice it more than someone who grew up here. But uh, to me, it, it's impossible not to, to see the headlines and listen to the news stories about the violence and the, the poverty and you know all the stuff happening. And I kept hearing about low-income housing being you know a real issue. We need more low-income housing, and and so I researched it as I kind of been want to do. Um, and I real I I couldn't figure out why why there was such a shortage. Because it seems to me, or it seemed to me that um, one, you know, applying capitalism to the to the problem, one could actually deliver a pretty decent service in the form of uh, uh, affordable luxury housing, um, and still generate a decent return. And and at least so far, knock wood, um, I, I've borne that out to be true. But it's, so, it's, so you it's, said, you said, man, okay, I, I hear, I see that there's this problem and I think that maybe it shouldn't be that way. You got what, 8 million, 7 million people here. Uh, you know, we know that they're going to need somewhere to live. I, I've got a money background. I'm going to get my money together and I'm going to plop it down on some real estate and then make it nice, renovate it and rent it out. That's a pretty simple business model, frankly, but that's what you're doing. Yeah. Much, much simpler than what, what I used to do. But, um, I also like the idea of, you know, being, uh, uh, the recipient of the monthly check rather than, you know, being the one paying it all the time. So I like kind of switching that around. Um, and it just seemed to me that here's, 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 unfortunately, we probably will never see the end of, 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 of the rental demand that exists in certain communities in our city. Um, just they will uh, partly choice, but partly also they probably won't have the wherewithal to buy their own houses and they will be tenants kind of perpetually. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, the housing bust of 11 years ago, Ed taught us, at least taught some of us, uh, 12 years ago, whatever it was, that there's nothing wrong with renting. Renting is, uh, it, it happens every month. You know what you're going to be doing and it's a hell of a lot better to be paying rent than to be uh, ass over backwards on something you never should have bought in the first place, right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Most of my tenants don't have that, you know, don't have that uh, that opportunity. They wouldn't. People weren't lining up around the block to give them million dollar loans um, for for housing in Lincoln Park. But uh, um, but there'll be tenants, and so I think it's it's a recession resistant uh, market as well. Um, 
probably probably the opposite. That's that's that's. It seemed to me in Chicago we can't get much straight, but the one thing we probably can't reduce is um, the support provided to low-income housing residents. So that was my thinking. By the way, you brought up something about uh, and before we were when we started recording, we were doing a little prep, and then we were talking about this, and then some of these people listening should know that I was once a renter from you. I rented and lived off of my friend Ed when I first got out of college because he was a bit older than me, was already in his employment, and had bought a house. And then I learned from him. I bought that very house off of him, and then I too be put one of my friends in there as a renter to me. And I learned something a long time ago, and Ed touched on this when we were doing prep. He said there's somehow there's this resistance to being a landlord, to being an owner and collecting rent because people think, oh my God, the toilet's breaking and they're calling me up and all that. It's been my experience as a landowner that rents out farm ground, as a uh, person that's owned several different pieces of real estate that I rented residentially, I have what I call the ACRs of wealth building always charge rent because when you are getting someone to pay you then your monthly payments go down by them paying you so i th i say acr always charge rent as one of the cornerstones of wealth building say you the same yeah i think that's absolutely right uh why are, people, why are people afraid of it um i think i think in our in my case with the, the you know my my you know the low-income housing markets in chicago are are located in neighborhoods that are well well publicized to be dangerous, and so I think in my case people are, are fearful. I hear that a lot from people, that, you know, just afraid of going through the neighborhoods, and particularly in the context of collecting rent. Um, it's it's funny to me. I, I think people are shocked to realize that uh, literally only one of my tenants doesn't pay me electronically. Um, and they would pay by cash if I preferred, probably. But yeah. um, so, so I, I think technology is to the point where that's no longer an issue. Um, and um, I, I don't know of any better way to, to know what's going on with your properties than to show your face there regularly. No, that's really good. So you're, you're on top of it. Um, as far as what you do there, okay, you've got a bunch of philosophies that you have uh, – gleaned from your background as an investment banker that you apply, whether you owned and rented real estate or whatever you were doing, selling widgets, uh, manufacturing, uh, you know, uh, buttercups, whatever it was that you were doing. Tell me about some of those philosophies, things that you apply to your business that you gleaned from your time of uh, being an investment banker. Talked about already knowing where you're going and then also understanding the value of what your company is because it's not just a job, it's a business. What else did you see that made you think, man, this is something that anybody can use? I think I, and I think you actually touch on a lot of this in your first book, but um, as far as prioritization and and kind of the whole theme of if you don't have a plan for your day or you don't time, I think you know the, the section on time yep. is never going to come again, and if you waste it, you got nothing to show for it. I think that's it's such it seems like such a, a basic thing, but that's continually as I get older, ever ever present a huge issue. You're never going to escape that. So not that we always need to, I, I used to work in an environment where I had to literally plan in 15 minute increments my days. Otherwise I would not get stuff done. I just wouldn't get it all done. So I don't have that problem now, but that's opportunity cost. You know, if to the extent you don't maximize those, those minutes in your day, whatever you're doing, terrible work, professional work, capital, whatever you're doing, you know, that's time you never get back. So I think that's that's hugely important as one theme. 
one thing about Wall Street types is that I know that, you know, the movie Wall Street that had Michael, uh, what's his face in it, uh, uh, 20, well, released almost 30 years ago, I guess yeah. it was the late 80s. You know, is the idea that Greed Michael is good. Douglas, Greed is good. Yeah, greed is good. And so it paints this picture that all they are is about money and greed and all that. And then the average person that's listening to this podcast is like, you know, I run my business because it's something I want to do or something that's you know, my family business. I don't know that they're greedy, but there's somewhere in there where they need to learn a few things about the money side of it. What do people get wrong to have their own little business when it comes to money? I think, it's obviously going to vary based on specific businesses, but I think uh, the best way is, is, is the best way to think about it is, is in terms of expenses. Um, now, you know, it's context specific and I understand, but um, one, someone told me one time and, I, and I'll never forget that when you're spending on any monthly expense, never think of it as what it costs you per month. Think of it as, so it's not the hundred dollars for the phone system. It's 120 times $100. So it's it's twelve thousand dollars that you're spending for that. You mean um, because you're you're saying don't look don't ever look at it as the as the one time because it's not a one time. You're saying anything that's a recurring expense, you should yeah. always look at yeah. And so so it's so it's a hundred becomes twelve hundred for the year, and then where do you get the the ten times that? Well, it's it's if you always think about how that affects the value of your business. So if that's a that's an expense in your business that pulls down your profit or your cash flow, which is going to be 100% correlated with whatever you get for to sell the business, um, then then that's going to, and if you assume it's 10 times cash flow that your business is worth, you can argue whether that's high or low, then that, that $100 monthly expense becomes 1200 for the year times 10. So it becomes $12,000 that, that it costs you to make that decision. It's not to say don't, you know, spend that money. It's to say that recognize that that's what you're doing. You're not just spending a hundred bucks. And I think a lot of people tend to just think, well, you know, it's only a hundred bucks or it's only another 20 bucks or whatever it is. But you got to remember all of that because it all adds up. And it, and ultimately, like you said, ultimately, like you said, it makes the value. It's not just a hundred bucks. It makes the value of the business worth considerably less because those expenses again are, are multiplied when you try to say, I'm going to set a value on the business. That's right. And it's not, and that's important, not just in the context of sale. Cause a lot of people may say, well, I'll worry about that when I'm going to sell or I'll cut back expenses, which is true. Um, it's also in the context of getting financing. If you, if you go to get a loan from a bank, in that period, they're going to look at it the same way. So just, I think it's important to kind of think about that, not kid yourself on expenses. Okay. That's a good one. Now, speaking of money and people, we hear business people, you know, even successful ones say stuff like, I'm just not good with money. I'm more of a creative type or I'm an idea person. You know, I'm really good at selling. I'm just not good at managing my finance. I hear these kinds of things because I know a lot of small biz types and I've always made money. My friend, I've learned a lot about it. I've, I've self-taught a lot of it because, you know, years on the road, I'm like, let's do the right thing. Are these people that say that, are they just making excuses for being undisciplined or is there really something between somebody not having a money mind? What do you think? Creatives are the worst, of course. I think there's probably some truth to that. I also, I also go so far to say, I've always joked that, you know, if one of my kids wanted to be a poet, I'd find a way to support that. And so that doesn't mean I want them to be financially responsible and a poet too, but um, <laughs> I think it's more that uh, I, I admire those who are so absorbed with creative stuff. That's not something I ever had a strength in really. So um, those who can live their lives that way, so long as they don't tell me how to live my life, 
um, I'm supportive of them living their creative lives. So well, that's, I, that's a little commentary on Hollywood, I think, right there. So yes, the creative uh, endeavor. I don't know that they have to be so disparate. You know, I've got a certain level of creativity because I have a background in comedy and I do create things from podcasts to books to content for speeches. But I also can think about money. I think that there's a a real crutch and a and an excuse that people give themselves when they say I'm just not the money type. I think that that's an excuse. Yeah, I think I think. In a lot of cases, that's that's probably exactly what they're doing, kidding themselves and, and not being completely truthful. You talked about your kids being poets. You're a financial guy. You've got an MBA. You uh, you used to fly across the Atlantic the way most people would drive uh, to the to the Safeway grocery store in their neighborhood to make deals with companies. So now you've got kids. They're uh, you know late to, what uh, ten and thirteen or twelve and fourteen or something like that. Do you talk to them about financials? Um, to the extent that they're willing. Yes. Um, uh, ironically, my daughter who's younger, um, is probably more showing more signs of that, um, already than, than her brother. But, uh, yeah, I try to as much as possible that they, they so far are not, are not as, uh, uh, alert and attuned as I want them to be. But I think that's hugely important. I think it's hugely important also. And I think that's the difference. Uh, a lot of folks that think that that's not something they should discuss with their kids. And I know all these people that the, are taking their kids on four day weekends to go and play soccer in St. Louis. Uh, they talk about how valuable this family time is. And I say, have you ever spent four days working with them on an actual like um, job? <laughs> what about actually taking your kid to work with you and then saying, and here's how we make money. And here's why you need to learn how to do this. Um, so, couple of other things. You talk about prioritization of time. You talk about Wall Street lessons for the business people. You talk about Wall Street uh, lesson for businesses, always thinking about what the value of your business is. You talk about then having a next step, uh, having a number, meaning that if someone came along and offered you uh, a price, you got to be saying, here's the actual number. Uh, what else? Anything else that, uh, that you've learned in your, in your running your own business or working on Wall Street that a person that has their own small business can learn from? I think we touched on it, but I think, um, um, as much as possible, putting yourself in the perspective of, uh, you know, when, again, in the context of exiting your business, putting yourself in the, in the perspective of um, the, the counterparty, whoever that is. Um, obviously, I'm biased towards, you know, using an advisor to help you do that. But uh, I, I think it's invaluable to, to have a truly objective viewpoint, which I think is very difficult for any of us to have of our own businesses. But as much as possible, to the extent you can adopt that that perspective as you prepare for for that, I think that's that's hugely important. All right. and I, I think it's something that people it's it's surprisingly difficult. Some people are much better at it than others. There's serial entrepreneurs who have who have uh, started and sold multiple businesses. They're, they tend to be very skilled at it, as you did imagine. Mm -hmm. um, but but the average business doesn't. So I'd say that's that's one for sure. Uh, I know you got to run, so I'm going to ask a couple of last questions. One of them is specifically then, uh, okay, you've, you've done some stuff right, you've done some stuff wrong. Or you won't admit what you've done right and what you've done wrong, uh, you've learned from, because I can tell you I've done a lot of things wrong. Uh, <laughs> where, where have you misstepped as a, even a guy that made a lot of money and had an office on the 87th floor, when it comes to running your own enterprise, there's some new learning, some new learning curves, if you will. Where'd you get, what'd you get right and wrong? Um, the right would be focusing on what something that, that I felt was the need in this case, low income housing, um, and, and something I was good at doing, um, and that I would actually enjoyed doing. 
I actually enjoy interact. I actually enjoy surprising tenants who think you're going to not listen to their needs and you're going to be surprising them with Christmas presents. Yeah. And you, and you also took some places that were just, you know, crappy and you made them nice. And there's gotta yeah. be a certain amount of fulfillment in that. Like you're seeing something come produ- productivity. My wife always said, you gotta love the fact, Damien, that every day, you know, you actually see some result of your labor. You either book a gig or you sell something or you create a pro- product. And so that's gotta be ex- exciting for you to see something come to fruition. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, in my case, the neighbors, you know, when they comment, hey, thanks for thanks for what you did here on this building and, you know, we're going to redo our roof now. Um, I, I think that's, that's, that's something I really enjoy and I think I got right. Uh, the biggest thing I'd say I got wrong um, um, was, was really that when I, when I was inspired by a former client to, to start a trucking industry venture um, and, uh, you know, I focused so much on the execution of it and, you know, all the things to do, all the things I've heard and read and studied about how to run the business best, metrics, you know, visual management, all the stuff, you know, very professionally executed um, uh, and well-planned, et cetera. And then it never dawned on me uh, what my role would be running it. Yeah. Which sounds really stupid. I, I think, but it's a, I mean, a culpa. I realized one day, you know, I'm just, I'm just fucking miserable. This is, uh, um, uh, you know, basically it's babysitting employees who are, who are griping and upset. I'm paying them to be here and, you know, and I want them to just focus on, you know, our agreed goals and whatever. Um, and, and really my time is spent um, doing that, which, which is critically important. And, and it's why I developed more of an appreciation for the successful uh, entrepreneurs who have businesses that require big staffs and manage that because that's not something that I enjoy. Uh, and, and I, and I'd never, you know, in all my schooling, all my education and all my thinking about it, I'd never really thought about that that way. Um, I was more thinking about the technical difficulty of, of putting it together than I was. About know. the day to day, the day to day stuff of you actually managing a mechanic and an administrative assistant and a salesperson, it just drove you nuts. Yeah. No, absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely right. So finally I realized, well, why am I doing that? And so I, you know. Um, which, which, by the way, uh, a little plug for Do Business Better, the book, I have an entire thing in there about understand your business personality. A good habit of success is to at least understand your business personality and you either strengthen what you're terrible at or just work around it. So Ed learned to work around it. I've, I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm not a process person. How stuff gets done. The book was about a decade too late unfortunately. So yeah, right. I I had gotten it out sooner. So your business personality, you figured it out. All right. Talking to Ed Nichols, he's got to run. He's a former wall street investment banker. He's giving you lessons, wall street lessons for main street businesses. It's some really good ones there. Uh, thinking about the value of your business, thinking about where your exit plan is, thinking about the money you spend today while you might think it's small and actually long-term impacts the value of your business. Talked about what he got right and what he got wrong, which goes back to understanding your business personality. He talked a lot about one lesson from Wall Street is prioritizing your time. He gave you a book called Finish Big. That's about thinking about your exit plan, correct? That's right. Okay, Finish Big, pick it up. Uh, Until next time, uh, I'm Damian Mason. He's Ed Nichols. Thanks for being here. You got any closing, any closing thoughts? Any, you know, you said you had some good philosophies that you had learned. I mean, you're, you're 50 years old. You've been working in, in a lot of different variety of uh, industries. And, and uh, what do you got? Anything, any last piece of advice that you would give to a person in the small business? Remember, you, you are 
you are the heart, you know, the, the lifeblood of this economy. So um, I know it's cliche and whatever else, but uh, that's what's keeping the country ro rolling. And that's why our economy remains so strong, despite all the critics. So, so keep it up. Got it. His name, his name is Ed Nichols. My name is David Mason. Until next time, it's the New Business Better podcast.